You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So yesterday we had family night. It's um, it's a basically a practice, so it's kind of chaotic. And the one gripe I had, and there were not really any, is just the fact that I wish I could record it and rewind it because every time there's some kind of a scrimmage or anything going on, I want to see everybody. That was the hardest part is I, I want to watch Preston. I want to watch Sedarius. I want to see Darnell Savage. I want to watch Aaron Rodgers. I want to, I, I, everybody. Like, ooh, Cole Madison's there, but I wonder how Jair's doing. And, oh, man, Kevin King's matched up on Devontae. Like, I kind of want to watch that. So, um, later, the plan later on today is to go back and do a, uh, article. So scour the Twitters, see what notes other people had, especially for those people that were actually at the game. We got to see some stuff that wasn't even televised. So if you want kind of a full, I guess, breakdown or full notes on what happened yesterday, keep an eye out for a, uh, article on that at packernet.com. But um, today the plan is to just give my thoughts and what I saw, which wasn't a ton, but just general thoughts, and then kind of dive back into a couple of things that were in the Facebook group, and uh, just call it a Saturday, I guess. But uh, before we get there, if you appreciate the podcast, a five-star iTunes review would be greatly appreciated. Otherwise, any kind of review anywhere that you find the podcast where they allow reviews would also be greatly appreciated. I had someone reach out yesterday and say... Um, well, I didn't actually listen to the voicemail, but I read the transcription, so it might be all messed up. But the general idea I got is that link of links isn't working. I checked everything this morning. It seems to be okay, but if you're having problems with it, let me know. Maybe I'll just get rid of link of links because I've had basically zero interaction since that. So it maybe it's not working? I don't know. Interaction, I just mean with the links, as far as I can tell. Uh, what else? Be sure to get in the Facebook group. That is in link of links. If you're new, by the way, and there was a massive surge in listeners recently, so thank you if you're new, just check the description. There's there's two things there. There's a phone number where you can text and call if you have any questions or comments for the show. The other is a link. It's a link tree link, which is you click on it, and it takes you to a bunch of different links that has everything that I would want you to know in there. Sound fair? All right. Let's take a break. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. 
And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So first of all, I really, really did enjoy it. Last year, I went to the game, um, so I kind of hated it. <laughs> I know you're not supposed to say that, but it was like 90 degrees. My daughter was like a year and a half. She would not sit. She would not be quiet. She was at her loudest during the national anthem, so that was horrible. Kept trying to hit the people in front of us with these little, you know, balloons that they give you, which, why? So I'm trying to round them up and get rid of all of them and deflate them, and then she's screaming. It just, it was, it was rough. But uh, ever since they got rid of the actual game, it's, it's not been all that enjoyable. But yesterday, I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I really don't think it was anything super special. I just think it was... First of all, it seemed more organized. Maybe the cameras were just doing a better job of sticking on stuff. But I feel like in years past, again, since they got rid of the, the scrimmage, it just felt like there were a bunch of drills going on at once, and it's just people kind of just hanging out on the field. Like, okay, let's see what they're doing over here, punting. And then he starts kicking a ball, and then, okay, let's come over here. They're throwing at a net, and it's like, I just don't care. This seemed like a lot of, you know, seven-on-seven type stuff, a lot of interesting things to actually watch. And then beyond that, it's it's all the new people that we haven't seen yet. And I just liked, I don't know, again, I don't know if I was just in a good mood or if everybody really looked good, but I thought Aaron Rodgers, let's just start at the top, I thought he looked great. Um, I thought, you know, even when coverage was tight, he was throwing great throws. I mean, the kind of throws where maybe in slow motion when you watch it, you could nitpick it a little bit. Like, yeah, maybe a little four inches to the left there, Rodgers. But, I mean, he's stepping into his throws, he's delivering to his receivers, and his receivers are coming down with it, and that's the most important part. All right, tight coverage, especially if he's got a half a step. You kind of like the ball to be out and away so that he can catch it and run rather than trying to stop and come back to get it and then getting popped right away. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't really care because that's a completion. And uh, there was a lack of that last year. On the negative end of the spectrum, as far as quarterbacks go, nothing super great. I, I saw very little from Tim Boyle. But the little bit I did see, it was not good. And uh, Deshaun Kaiser just, you know, I, I, I don't want to say I'm giving up on him, but I'm kind of just there. It's not impossible that something happens that maybe he can be the quarterback that can come in for a game and just not lose it. I just don't think so, man. I really don't. I, th- I think that was just a swing and a miss. I don't think we were keeping Demarius Randall anyway, so it's not like we traded away some great commodity for this quarterback and it didn't pan out. But um, yeah, I just I don't I don't think so. You know, it's the same thing we talk about with guys like Mitch Trubisky, who obviously have much greater chances of turning this thing around because he's had less experience, less years in the NFL, and you know whatever, more talent. But you look at it and just say, well, you know, the mechanics are all messed up and the accuracy is no good. These are things that aren't, aren't just easily turned around, so I just don't know. And then you look at, at Kaiser, and it's like, you know, I can't really speak to his mechanics necessarily, but, man, he just throws some crazy balls, and it's like, what are you even doing? You just It's just that feeling where everything gets deflated. Like, oh, okay, here we go. 
right? You're in this this high and this rhythm, and the offense looks good, and even the defense looks good, and then Kaiser comes out, and it just makes it look like amateur hour. Like, the Packers just aren't a good team, and they don't know what they're doing, and I just don't like that. Like, get them off. Put Rodgers back out there. I don't like this. So, you know, I, I, I would be okay with the notion that we should try to find a better backup for emergency situations, whether that be free agency or we take a swing in the draft next year, whatever. But I do think we need to put some kind of a priority on the number two quarterback. I don't think it's going to be Kaiser. I think the Boyle apologists are a little little out there. No offense to Mr. Herman, but give me a break. That guy is not going to be a backup quarterback. He is just, just not going to happen. And as far as Manny Wilkins, it's just, no, man. So as per usual... The Packers have Aaron Rodgers and basically zero chance of winning any games with a backup. Maybe a really garbage team will come in and, and do enough to win. But that that's an, that is a weakness. Now, again, hopefully we don't have to care about that, but just watching him is like, this is, it's not better. It's just not. He doesn't know where to go with the ball. It's not accurate. It's just, yeah, no. As far as the running backs, it's always kind of hard to tell. I really did like Trey Carson yesterday. For some weird reason, I kept mixing him up for Corey Grant. Then every, every time they said Trey Carson, I'm like, oh, that's that fast guy. I'm like, oh, no, that's Corey Grant. But he looked fast. But it's always hard to tell because nobody's really going full speed. You can't really tackle. So when he breaks through the hole, it's like, yeah, but would he really have? But as best as I could tell, I thought Trey Carson had a good night. Dexter I didn't see a ton from. Vitaly was out kind of doing Vitaly stuff. He had a couple big gains, a couple receptions. Tight ends, you know, again, not a ton. I saw Jimmy on at least one reception. Saw Robert Tanyan out there. Don't remember him doing a ton. I think uh, in sort of the one-on-one matchups with corners, I think he had a reception for a touchdown, essentially. It was just red zone work. But the the, the real highlight really was the wide receivers. Trevor Davis just, tr- Trevor Davis is the Jake Kumaro this year. The, the only difference is I think there's reason to believe that it could be real because we, we've seen Trevor Davis for so long. We know what he is, and we know that this isn't him, right? Jay Kumaro is still basically Jay Kumaro. He had another great day. He's still doing Jay Kumaro-type stuff. I don't know if it's quite as good, or, or maybe it is. It's just the, the other wide receivers have all done so well. Devontae Adams, again, had a great day. Geronimo looked really good. Uh, Marquez was a little bit iffy, but fine. Darius Shepard, I thought, had another great day, some great receptions. But Trevor Davis is, and, and, and again, the, the biggest thing with Trevor, as opposed to everybody else, is where is this coming from? We know what Trevor Davis is, and this isn't it. So it, it, it at least piques your interest in terms of, could this possibly translate into the regular season? I mean, at the very least, it's really going to help his, his case to be a special teamer. Because, as I've already mentioned, he's very good on special I know he's dropped a bunch of balls, and that's not good, and that's pretty terrible. But I think even that's overstated when I went back and looked at how many he actually muffed. It wasn't as many as I remembered. I remembered about 84, and I think the number was like three. But if he can even, you know, if he can keep this up, he's got a shot at, I don't know what, the number four receiver? Probably not, but maybe. Uh, the other note specifically on wide receivers is I'm really starting to wonder if Jamon's going to be on the team. Uh, there's there's two big things working against them. Number one is the massive amount of talent at wide receiver. Devonte Adams, Devonte Adams, Geronimo, um, uh, Marquez are obviously locks. That's your one, two, three. Equinemius has has had a pretty good camp, and he he seems to be a good wide receiver. I like him. I think the Packers like him. I think he's a good fit. He's fast. He's tall. He's long. 
So he's going to get locked up. Uh, between Trevor Davis and Jake Kumaro, I mean, I'm, I'm at this point as well as they're playing. I know I've been a little bit down on Jake, but it's kind of hard to cut him. So at this point, if I had to guess, they both stay. But at the very least, one of them is going to make the team. That's already six wide receivers. You've got Alan Lazard, who's had some a little bit of hype. Uh, Tao Redding has been decent at times. Darius Shepard has been great. I mean, I, I, I think he's got a real good shot at making the roster. That would be seven, by the way. I just, you know, and, and Jamon, he comes out again. He had, he had a touchdown. It was in his hands, and he dropped it. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a good route runner. Um, I think he's got some potential in there somewhere, but at some point, I mean, he's not a first-round pick. He's not a second-round pick. He's not even a third-round pick. He was a fourth-round pick. Yes, he was drafted higher than uh, Equinemius, and he was drafted higher than Marquez, but so what? Fourth-round pick does not mean you're automatically going to be on the team for two years. If you can't produce, especially with such a deep group, I just don't think he's going to make it. I don't know why. I don't think he has a good rapport with Rodgers. I don't think he, he definitely doesn't have the trust of Rodgers, and he just can't keep his hands on the balls, and it's just it's not good. Uh, no real note on notes on offensive line. I didn't, you know, I I don't know. I'm not really watching them too much. However, I was watching the defensive line. Really like Rashawn Gary. Really like Zadarius Smith. I think it's as advertised. I didn't get to watch a ton. It was kind of one of those things where it's like I have to force myself. You're watching Rashawn, and that's it. Just stare at him. And he didn't have. I think I watched him twice. He didn't have a sack, but it's just like everybody says on Twitter and all those notes that I put in those articles. The speed is evident. Even if he doesn't get to the quarterback, you just watch his get off and you watch how he just, how smooth and how fast he is. It's like, whoa, man. It, 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 the only comparable I can think to, and it sounds weird, but it's Ezekiel Elliott. And the only reason I say that is, and, and I've mentioned this before, I wasn't a huge fan of Ezekiel Elliott in college. He had some really massive plays, but the, the, the plays I saw were just... I mean, he had a dominant offensive line and nobody touched him. And I'm not going to give you credit for a 70-yard touchdown if you basically just ran in a straight line and nobody touched you. I don't care. But as soon as he got into the NFL, after I've been popping off at the mouth about how not great he is, he's playing against NFL-caliber players, and he looked better than he looked in college. I thought he looked faster. I thought he looked more elusive, and he definitely looked more powerful. I didn't think he had that much power. And he comes in, and he's banging people. It's like, jeez. And so I'm watching Rashawn Gary, and I'm thinking, okay, the guy isn't super fast. He doesn't look super technique-oriented, and they talk about speed, but you got to kind of watch him for a while to see it. He comes to Green Bay, and he goes up against NFL-caliber people, and it's like, oh, there it is every time. So I, I, it's a weird thing where he looks better in, you know, and again, it was only two times, but it echoes what people have been saying. He's been doing this whole training camp, and... um it's just very exciting. And, and Zadarius, too, just looks, he looks incredibly fast. He's really powerful. I mean, he's, it's, it's, it's awesome for both of them. I think Zadarius has got more power than, than um, Rashawn, at least from what I've seen. But for both of them, I mean, they, they've got the speed to destroy you, which is the biggest thing because you know guys that size have got some power. You know Zadarius is going to be able to bull rush a, a tackle. But to also have that athleticism, which is which is really what Mike Pettin wants and needs, right? He's basically looking for four three defensive ends that have the athleticism to play outside linebacker, which is not easy to find. But to be able to see the speed they have and just the intensity and, and the, the quick get off, you would not know that this was a practice, man. Those guys just brought it and it was super exciting to get to see it, even in small little bits. But I remember Zadarius seeing him fly around people and thinking, wow, that's really fast. And then 
that one time he's like, I'm just going to go straight into his chest. And man, I don't even know who he was going up against, but he just blew him straight back. And there were, I mean, there were several sacks in the game. None of them get counted, but the the defensive line, although they didn't win every single time, and there were times when Rodgers had plenty of time to throw, they were, uh, it was it was a pretty, pretty lethal group. The only actual negative was that Aaron Rodgers was able to take off and run. Now, maybe there wasn't even any pursuit, but that's always something you got to worry about is you get a bunch of pressure, but you don't contain, and the quarterback takes off for 20 yards. Again, nobody's going to charge at Aaron Rodgers, but some of those definitely would have been pretty big gains, although half of those big gains were sacks before he ever left the pocket. Um, Ty Summers, I thought, looked pretty good. He had a, I know he had at least one rep in coverage where the cool thing about it not only was it good coverage, it looked easy. I mean, when you watch linebackers go up against, whether it's running backs or wide receivers or whatever it has, whatever it is, it's typically going to be advantage to the receiver because linebackers just aren't that fast. Even against tight ends, typically the tight end's going to have an advantage. And you saw that with the linebackers, right? They're struggling. They're, they're trying to stick with them. They maybe are about a step behind just trying to get in there to be able to make a play. Ty was like running sideways like he just he's like I'm, I'm in his chest and I'm just gonna hang out here he just made it look really easy and that's good because that's his whole thing right he's super athletic but you look at him he's pretty jacked he's a big dude um you know it's easy to form opinions like he's a seventh round pick he's at you know whatever but you watch the guy and suddenly you get a little bit more excited about him right phenomenal coverage we know he's real athletic and he's got you know 48 inch biceps not uh, first of all sarcasm not sarcasm hyperbole i don't know you figure it out and yes i know biceps don't matter as far as being a linebacker but i'm just saying the dude is big um i think the corners looked pretty solid uh, again i'm you, you don't get points for being in tight coverage and still giving up the pass but you know the, at the same time not every quarterback they're going to be going up against is aaron Rodgers. not every quarter or every wide receiver they're going to go up against is Devonte adams so at the very least, if you're a good enough corner to be able to be in the guy's chest, to be able to be on his heels when the when the ball is thrown, you're going to be able to make some plays. And uh, we actually did get to see one yesterday. Tony Brown had a pick six. That was pretty exciting. Unfortunately, it was just a horrible pass to Sean Kaiser, I believe. But still, you know, again, it, it, it comes down to being opportunistic. You know, when there's a bad pass, is someone going to take advantage of it? And yeah, Tony Brown jumped it, took it to the house. So, you know, I thought Jair was playing pretty tight. I mean, he got tore up by Devante. Uh, Kadar had another good game. Tony Brown obviously had that pick six. Didn't really see Darnell. I need to get better. I, I should have studied up on some of their numbers because it's going by real fast. And I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh what, who is that? Who's that? It just couldn't come to me fast enough. And there's so many new players and new numbers. It's like, I don't even know if I know his number. But um, that'll come in time, I guess. In other words, I may have seen Darnell, but I, I don't know. And then um, finally, I guess, would be, you know, I saw one kick from J.K. It looked fine. Kicked it to around the 10. Actually, that's not true. There were two punts. One of them, uh, he kicked out of bounds. That was a really good kick. It was a directional kick, so it went out of bounds, I don't know, kind of around the 10-ish, probably a little bit further out. But I think it was a really, it was, he was from like the 30 or 40 or something. I don't know. But it was a good kick. And then the second one was kind of maybe at like the 11, which isn't bad if you can get your guys down there. But, you know, ideally, it's a little further than that. I don't think you regularly want to kick it to the 13. Sometimes you guys can't get down there, and then it's going to be, you know, you're punting from the 50, and you're going to give it right back to him on the 35 or whatever. Um, but Ficken, Ficken was hot and cold. Started off hot, and I think his last two kicks were, were missed. So I don't know what's going to happen there. He's had a decent enough camp. 
again, I, I just I don't know how serious the Packers are about this. We've seen several times where they've brought people in, and uh, Crosby does well enough to fend off the attackers, and they just get rid of him. And I'm relatively confident that if Crosby was healthy, that he would be kicking um, better than Ficken. Crosby is pretty automatic, especially in training camp, even in the regular season. I know some people wanted to argue with me about that, but his percentage is much higher than Ficken's is in training camp, even last year when it wasn't the best. But I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Anyways, uh, again, those are just my thoughts. I'll have a little bit more in-depth stuff if you didn't get to see it or just interested in what other people saw or had to say about certain players. The plan is to do that today, but it's Saturday. Sometimes I want to relax. I don't know. But let's take uh, one more break, and then I'll get to a couple Facebook things, and I'll uh, let you guys get back to your Saturday. So the first thing I want to do is um, I I had talked yesterday. Todd had uh, made a point that how do we actually know that Mike Pettin is going to be any good? I had elaborated on that. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. But um, Todd went on. I mean, this is very, very long. So I want to address it one more time. And it's not really to, you know, I don't want to just have a back and forth with Todd on the podcast, right? I can do that in Facebook. But it really is just to kind of clarify or elaborate, I guess, just for the sake of anybody else that maybe is thinking similar to what Todd was thinking as I was saying things yesterday. Because I think it is a good discussion. But I think beyond this, Todd, you can have the last word in Facebook if you want, because I don't want to keep doing this. But the first thing is, just to be clear... I feel like Todd and I are in agreement. I agree with the premise that we don't actually know if Mike Pettin is going to be a good defensive coordinator. And I do think that it's incorrect of us to assume that he is a very good coordinator, he just didn't have uh, good enough players. That is where we agree, and I think at that point is, you know, there's maybe half agreements beyond that, but I feel like we're kind of apart beyond that. Now, the, the biggest point of contention seems to be the quality of the players. Now, just to be clear, my disagreement is with the statement that we definitely know that the 2018 defense is better than the 2017 defense. First of all, it doesn't really matter because the, the, the moment I would strongly disagree is when we say that 2018 was a good roster. I don't think Todd has made that claim. However, anybody that says 2018 was a good roster and Mike Pettin didn't know what to do with it is wrong. It wasn't. It absolutely was not. We, we didn't have any pass rush for the second half of the year. For the beginning half of the year, we had Clay Matthews and, and Nick Perry who could not generate anything from the primary position you're supposed to be generating pass rush from. Now, I do want to elaborate further because Todd said that he He says, for example, it was absolutely no worse than the previous two seasons. That is without question. I disagree. Allow me to elaborate. First of all, and what he's referring to is that the 2018 defense was definitely not worse than 2017 or 2016. I'm not going to go back to 2016. I think if we just look at names and you were to say today, which group of people would you rather have, you'd probably pick 2018 But that's sort of without some substance. For example, would you rather have 2018 Clay or 2017 Clay? 2017 Clay without any shadow of a doubt. I said 2017, right? You would rather have 2017 Clay. That's what I'm saying. Clay Matthews last year had a PFF grade of 80. Excuse me. See, I'm getting confused. In, In 2017, he had a PFF grade of 80. In 2018, Clay was 65.3. In 2017, Nick Perry had a PFF grade of 76.3. 2018, that dropped to 53.1. Right, so it's, it's 
the difference in personnel seems better in 2018 if you just look at it and say, well, it's Clay and Perry, so that's the same. It's it's Mike and Kenny, that's the same. Then you add Jair and Josh Jackson. I mean, that's obviously better. But I would take that a step further and say uh, the outside linebackers are better in 2017, even though it's the same guys, and by a lot. Defensive line, maybe I would give that to 2018 because Kenny Clark got better. However, Mike Daniels was a lot better in 2017 than 2018. Would you rather have Jake Ryan and Blake Martinez than Blake Martinez and James Crawford? Yes. Yes, I would. Advantage 2017. How about HaHa Clinton Dix and Morgan Burnett compared to Tremont Williams and Kentrell Bryce, who had the most snaps of any safety, which is why I'm picking those two. Beyond that, we, we can kind of simplify this, right? So what Todd is doing is, is using um, Football Outsider. And again, he's using adjusted DVOA, which I disagree with because we're talking about the defense over the course of the year, which would be DVOA, in which case the defense was ranked 20th, not 29th. The, the bigger issue with that is that ranking a defense is dependent on the other defenses around you, so you can't compare a 20th ranked defense in 2018 compared to a 20th ranked defense in 2019. It's possible that a, you know, a 15th overall defense is worse than a 20th overall defense the next year because it's just a rank compared to everybody else. It doesn't really, you can't really quantify it. How good were they? However, you can do that with Pro Football Focus. 2018, and, and primarily the grades are not going to be based on defense overall, I don't believe. It's based on the quality of the roster. The Packers' defensive roster in 2018 was ranked 24th. 2017, they were ranked 20th. Now, you can quantify that a little further. The 2018 grade for the Packers was 75.4. Sounds good, because technically that is good, but the worst defense was graded at 60.4, so just a little insight there. 2017 overall grade was 76.1. Now, you pointed out the cornerbacks. The cornerbacks were terrible, and yeah, the, the, the coverage grade in 2018 was a lot better, but run defense, the Packers' run defense grade in 2017 was elite. The tackling grade was higher. The pass rush grade was higher. And again, we're kind of splitting hairs because it doesn't really matter they were both bad. This has been a series of bad rosters. And I am furthermore agreeing that we don't know Mike Pettin is a good defensive coordinator. I just disagree with the premise that we should discount Mike Pettin because he had a better roster but a produced a worse team. First of all, even if that was true, which I don't necessarily agree with, maybe, again, I, I don't even necessarily want to fight. I just don't like the definitive language. I don't think it is definitive. I would say 2017 was marginally better, but it just depends what you're looking at. Yeah, of course the corners were a lot worse. But I mean, we're still talking about a bad roster. We're also talking about a roster that doesn't necessarily fit the kind of scheme Mike Pettin is trying to run. We're talking about a brand new scheme, which makes it even harder. At least they understood what to do in Dom Capers' scheme. So that's going to make things harder and worse. So I'm not necessarily going to penalize him. I, I would have liked it to be better. I know when, when I went back and looked at a lot of defensive coordinators and we were looking at hiring and trying to figure out which one, there were several times when a defensive coordinator comes in and they just infuse, like they go from the 28th best defense to the 17th, right? Just a massive jump. But then it kind of tails off after year two, three, whatever. Other times it starts, it's just, you got to just take things for what they are. I think there's enough here to say that Mike Pettin did the best with what he could. And I, just looking at it, what more could Mike Pettin have done with what he had? The run defense wasn't really good. That that probably should have been better. I'm very impressed with the amount of pass rush we got, considering there were no pass rushers. 
outside of Mike Daniels, who didn't play very much, and Kenny Clark, who didn't get that all that many sacks. I mean, they were, they were generated from other people, generated from Jair and Josh Jackson and whoever. Now, there's a lot of work to do. A lot of that work has to do with Brian Gutekunst doing a better job. I shouldn't say Brian doing a better He needs to do a better job than had been done previously of putting talent on this defense. Another comment that Todd made is he thinks D is far more about player talent than it is about coordinator and scheme than offense. I don't know, maybe, but either way, the defense definitely needs better players. The The biggest question, and, and the question that actually is going to matter, is if we can get a, a talented roster. I'm not talking about the, the Chicago Bears roster or, or whoever, right? I, we don't need the, the best of the best. But if we have an adequate roster, you have everything you need, you have the full arsenal, what can you do with it? Are you going to produce more against the run? Are you going to come up in clutch situations, right? It, it's also about in-game adjustments and things. It, critical third down, can you help bring a, a stop? Even if it's not necessarily about scheme, fine, but the, the coaching aspect. Do your players know what to do in this situation? Not just a play caller, you're a coach. Do they understand their responsibilities? We got to see. So, again, we don't know if, if, if Mike Pettin's going to be any good. I think we, number one, we're biased because we're Packer fans. And number two, we know he had a great record in the past. But that was a long time ago, and offenses and defenses have changed over time. And we need to see if he's able to change and adapt and still be the same kind of coordinator and produce the same kind of a defense that he has in the past with these new modified defenses. He seems to be right there on the cutting edge. He seems to be still, you know, if you listen to people, they talk about him in terms of being incredibly intelligent. So I, I, I don't really have any super big reason to doubt. Last year wasn't a good year, but I don't think you could have anticipated or even expected it to be a good year. That essentially is my point. Now, like everything else, as time goes on, you start to strip away the excuses. This is what happened with Dom. This is what happened with Mike McCarthy. We make excuses. Those excuses slowly start to erode. And at some point, you come to the conclusion, you know what? You are the problem. And maybe that's going to happen with Pettin. I don't know. But after one unbelievably dysfunctional year, which is the first year in which players have admitted they didn't know what they were doing because it was super complicated, and the roster wasn't very good. And, and it's true, we weren't decimated with injuries. However, when you don't have talent on your roster, and the only real talent you have is are the ones that get hurt, I mean, you, you don't have outside linebackers, and they didn't get hurt. I don't care. Your, your talent is Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, and they did get hurt. Your talent is Muhammad Wilkerson, and he did get hurt. Your, your talent across the front is your defensive line, and they were decimated. But again, at, at some point, there does need to be production. And I think we when we look at this, if the defense isn't good, we got to make a decision and we got to do it relatively quick. Did Brian Gutekunst massively mess this up and, and go out and get players that aren't good? Did he mess up the draft with Savage and Gary? Did he mess up free agency with Preston and Zadarius? Was this just a massive botch job? Or maybe Mike Pettin isn't as good as we thought. But he, here's the thing, and this is why, Todd, you're going to get whatever last word you want. Who, who cares on August 3rd? Let's just see what happens. I, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. Not going to be perfect. We're going to get gashed. We're even going to get beat. Sometimes there's going to be a lot of points scored against the defense. But I think we should have a, a standard. We should have an expectation. And we should kind of measure it up against that expectation and see what happens. Week one is going to be a relatively big test. It's going to be tough. Week one, everything's sloppy. But it's the Chicago Bears. 
It's Mitch Trubisky. He may, maybe he's going to be an awesome quarterback. I don't know. But th- there is some level of expectation that there's some success, at least against the pass, if Jair and Kevin King and Josh Jackson are what a lot of people hype them up to be, up against wide receivers that I think are overrated and a quarterback that I just don't think is very good. You know, there are expectations in week two against the Vikings, at the very least against that defensive line. You know, is it going to be tough against the wide receivers and everybody? Yeah. But if we've got these real good, dominant defensive linemen now, you know, Montrevious supposedly took a step. Dean is pretty good. Kenny's a freak. We've got Zadarius, Gary, and Smith. I want to see some disruption. I want to see some sacks. I want to see some pressures. And I want to see the run game getting blown up. Not saying they have to win the game for us. Not saying we're not allowed any points or any first downs. But again, there's a relative expectation. When I'm looking at Zadarius Smith, I have X expectation. Maybe you should say Y because that's confusing. Up against this garbage right tackle, left tackle guard you're going up against. The expectation is you win more often than not. We'll see what happens. Same thing with, with the defense as a whole and Mike Pettin. If there's seemingly talent on the field and no production... Right, they're winning their battles, but it doesn't matter. The ball's coming out quick, and there's no adjust. You understand what I'm saying, right? We'll see. So Pettin definitely doesn't deserve high praise, but I don't think we should necessarily start talking about firing him quite yet. Let's get him some good players. Let's get settled in a little bit. Let's let's get excited. It's okay to be excited about stuff, and we'll see what happens. So that's all I got on that that topic. Um, somebody else that uh, seems to want to take a swing at my head. There's dissension in the ranks, man. No, I'm kidding. But but Kyle pointed out, and again, I, I want to dis, I want to just agree, but I'm, I'm going to point a few things out. But here's what Kyle said: Clay Matthews six three two fifty five, Nick Perry six three two sixty five, Zadarius six four two seventy five, Preston six six two fifty six. I think what he's generally pointing out is that they're roughly the same size, and that when I continually talk about how there's a change in defensive philosophy. And this is what he ended up saying. We can talk about change a certain size of player for the system, but the fact that Clay and Nick couldn't get it done anymore, I'm excited about the youth and leadership more than it. the fact is Clay and Nick couldn't get it done. So here's the biggest thing. Two things can be true at once. If there wasn't a philosophy change, Clay and Nick still needed to go, and that's absolutely true. Um, the, the reason I keep talking about the, the change and borderline obsessing about it, I guess, is first of all, I've been seeing this come for a while. And it's kind of confused me, and I didn't really understand it, and I'm just now starting to understand it. The change is real, and, and, and beyond any shadow of a doubt, because Mike Pettin won't stop talking about it. And, and nobody, Brian Gutekunst, will not stop talking about it. Matt LaFleur keeps talking about it. Even Mark Murphy keeps talking about it. He was talking about it yesterday, about the, the size and the length and how we want to get taller, we want to get bigger, we want to get longer. Um, so it, that's definitely a thing. And, and second of all, one slight correction. I know if you Google Preston Smith height and weight, it says 6'6", 256. He's actually 265, I think. If you look at NFL.com as well as Packers.com, the Packers listed him at 265. So basically, Preston is the smaller guy. He's bigger than Nick Perry. He's the same weight, but he's three inches taller. And then Zadarius is bigger than Preston. So this is definitely a bigger, longer group. And so again, Two things can and definitely are true at the same time in this situation. Uh, Clay Matthews wasn't working anymore, needed to go. Nick Perry wasn't working and needed to go. In their place, however, we went out and got um, Mike Pettin-type guys, and that is to be bigger, stouter, longer, stronger. And again, you know, the, the, the real question is, does this... We don't know what that means, right? In theory, this works. We got to see. Is this the right move? And if it is, are these the right guys? We paid a ton of money 
And so there's no question, again, if you if you look at the money that was paid, but also listen to what they're saying about these guys, there is no question in Green Bay that these guys are going to have a massive impact for the Packers. We'll have to wait and see. I, again, I've been overly excited about what I've seen from Zadarius. I, I'm blown away so far. Again, it's training camp. We'll see what happens. But the, the combination of size and speed is, is incredible. Rashawn Gary. Oh, and, and by the way, as I've said also in the past, a, a having a good understanding and a, and a good metric or whatever is, you know you're thinking right about stuff if it helps you predict the future. Right? That's why, as I've said a thousand times, that's why I like pro football focus, because I can look at stuff and say, you know what, I don't think this person's going to be, and I've been right. Kirk Cousins is so good, man, the Vikings got a good one. Well, he's not that good, and he hasn't been. Now I think people are skewing too far the other direction. He's garbage. Well, no, he's not. He's good, not great. Wildly overpaid. But, again, one of the areas in which this kind of bore itself out is when we went out and got Preston, when we went out and got, got Zedarius Smith, and I saw their size, the first thought I had, and I did say this on the podcast, is Rashawn Gary might actually be in play here because he does fit the mold. So again, yes, Clay and Nick needed to go and we needed to find someone, but there's absolutely something to this mold of player, which again is essentially a defensive end with the athleticism to play outside linebacker. That's Rashawn Gary, and that was my first thought when we got Preston and Zedarius, is this is about size. And as much as that seems silly, it's really not. There are certain fundamental things that you need and that you want. You know, as I said, you know, being 6'6", as silly as it sounds, if you're going, and this, he's an outside linebacker, but you know, you look at Dean Lowry and how he fits. Being, I think he's 6'6". If you're going to two-gap, having long arms so that you can extend your arms out, keep the defender off you, and also be tall enough to actually see what's going on. You need to know where the running back's going. If the quarterback is keeping the you got to be able to see what's going on. If you're Mike Daniels and you're in a 4-3 scheme and you're just shooting gaps, it, it doesn't matter as much. That's a hole I need to get through it. But, you know, we, we've heard from Mike and, and all these things about his leverage, which is to get low and stay low and to beat people low. That's great, except when you have a responsibility of covering two gaps and you can't see what's going on behind you because you're buried into somebody's hip. And, you know, Mike Daniels did a good job of, of compensating and still making it work and shedding guys and making tackles and was good against the run. But at the end of the day, there's just a certain way that this, this defense works and we're looking for certain people that can do certain things and we're going to go out and find those guys. Just going to go out and find the right tools for the job, and that's it. And I don't think there's really any question, especially last year when you look at it, that the Packers were too weak, right? We, we, the, the run defense was just not there. And you had guys like Clay and guys like Fackrell and, and even like Mike and, and, you know, the linebackers were getting blown up, which also is part of the defensive line's job is to be able to occupy offensive linemen and keep your linebackers clean. Not to exonerate the linebackers who didn't play very well, but this all comes together, and it all has a purpose. And again, th- th- this is the right thing. It's done with a, for a purpose, but now it's kind of down to, okay, you got your guys. We need production now. And circling all the way back to the start of training camp, when I said I was excited, I am excited. I do like Mike Pettin. I think he is a good defensive coordinator. I think he is trying to stay at the forefront of what defenses do. I think he's still a grinder. You know, he's not just resting on his laurels, which essentially, and as I've said, that the difference between Mike McCarthy and Andy Reid is not that one's a genius and one's a dummy. I really think Andy Reid is just a grinder. And Mike McCarthy, no disrespect, I know he still put in hours, but he put in hours on his, you know, 2010 offense. 
trying to tweak this and tweak that. And Andy Reid's out there innovating, staying at the forefront of what the NFL is doing. That's why he is, is, is running the Chiefs, one of the best offenses in the NFL, because, again, he's a brilliant mind. And if Mike McCarthy had put all his effort into to modifying and adapting to what the NFL is currently doing as opposed to sitting here and saying, no, my offense is the best offense, he'd be in the NFL right now, and who knows, maybe the Packers would be the ones, I don't know, whatever. Doesn't matter, we got Matt LaFleur and he's going to fill that void. But I, I, you know, that, that that's what Mike Pettin did when he took time off, is, is he studied what the NFL is doing and that's what's important. The question is, are you a, a strong enough mind, and this is what we don't know about Matt LaFleur, to once you have the knowledge of what teams are doing today to implement it, how to use it, when to use it, what to do, when to do, he, he can do all of that. So I, 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 let me even take it a step further. I have more confidence in uh, Mike Pettin and his ability to run our defense than I do Matt LaFleur and his ability to run our offense. Let me just put it that way. And I am very excited about our offense. So how's that for a defense of Mike Pettin? Anyways, them's my thoughts, and I'm going to leave it at that. Hope you folks have a fantastic Saturday. I will talk to you bright and early tomorrow morning. Have a good one. Bye-bye.